Thank you. Please be seated and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10 if you haven't already done so. We continue our study of the five discourses of Jesus in the book of Matthew, uh, but we skip from chapter 7, the end of 7, to chapter 10 because we're in the second discourse. We finished the first discourse, which is in chapter five, chapters 5 through 7. The second discourse is chapter 10. The third one, I know y'all are going to read ahead, so I'm telling y'all where to go. The third discourse is chapter 13, fourth is in 18 through 20, and the last is in chapters 24 and 25. So uh, in these discourses, these are discourses, just a, a, a teaching, a sermon, an extended uh, speech, if you will. Jesus is teaching his disciples all about what it means to be a disciple. Um, and what we see is they, they paint a holistic picture of it. He covers various aspects of being a disciple. Uh, In fact, these five discourses make up the largest collection of Jesus' teaching in any part of the scriptures. In in church history, the the church throughout history has used these five discourses as a discipleship training course. And so it's very very interesting as you study through what a great study it is. So we come to the second discourse in chapter 10, but let's quickly review what we learned in the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember the first discourse, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had his disciples sitting around his feet. He sat on a mountain, and he was teaching them the very essence of what it means to be a disciple. And he was counteracting what was going on in his day. The religious teachers of his day were teaching uh, very surface-level behavior religion and saying that if you keep the, the commands of Scripture, if you keep them externally, like if you don't kill someone, and if you don't commit adultery, then you're righteous enough for God. And so they, they measured themselves and said, yeah, we meet that standard. And they exalted themselves as judges over others. And so you see this self-righteous judgmental attitude uh, develops in them. And Jesus comes into the scene and says, you've heard them say this, that, and the other. Well, let me tell you, that's not at all how it works. And he tells the, the people, his disciples, your righteousness has to, has to surpass that kind of righteousness. It's got to go beyond and deeper than that. And he talks about how we all need to have this fundamental foundational change. And that's, in other scriptures, it's called the change, it's a new heart. Uh, Ezekiel prophesied about that God would give his people a new heart where the spirit of God takes, takes over the heart and implants in them the righteous desires of God. And so what we see is that the righteousness that God demands is perfect, it's perfection. And we get credit for Jesus's perfection by faith. And then once we have trusted only in Jesus's perfection, then he gives us the spirit of God who gives us this new heart with new righteous desires, which bubbles forth the new external behaviors. And so Jesus has been saying there's got to be an inward foundational change that produces the outward difference. You can't just have this external change. That's not good enough. And so instead of just looking at not murdering, he says, how's your anger doing? Do you see that there's, there's less anger because the Spirit of God is helping you fight anger? Do you, instead of just looking at the outward behavior of adultery, he says, how's your heart with purity? Is your heart waging war against lust by the Spirit's empowerment? He says, that's the foundational change to look for if you're really my disciple. And so we saw that last week, and now we, we skip chapters 8 and 9, and we get to chapter 10 where he, he's giving another extended session of teaching to his disciples, only now he's focusing on the fact that they are all missionaries. 
Now, to help us understand, there's a little, little explaining we need to do so we don't get confused in the, where we are in the story of the Bible. Or in, if you think of history, we are on the, the backside of the cross. This event that we're studying is on the front side of the cross. This is a unique time in history, a unique portion of the story of your Bible, where Jesus is God in flesh before the cross, before the death, burial, and resurrection, before the ascension, before the Pentecost, sending of the Spirit. But we see there are some things that are unique, like these 12 people that we're studying are going to be the apostles, which serve as the foundational pillars, the fathers upon which the church is built, many of which wrote the sacred scriptures as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. And they were handpicked by Jesus. They were hand-sent by Jesus. But we're looking at a short-term mission trip, if you will. These apostles, Jesus says, I want you 12 to go on a short-term mission trip to reach the Jews in the Galilee region. And we, as readers of the Bible, and thousands of years later, are looking and saying, what can we learn from this short-term mission trip and Jesus' teaching to them? What can we learn for ourselves as we are on mission? But what we need to understand before we even get into the study, and the reason the first service went a little long is because I feel like I need to do a lot of setup. And that setup is this. You're a missionary. And I think a lot of us don't even have that concept in our mind that we are all missionaries. If we continue to read through the book of Matthew in one sitting after we read this, we see that he ends up dying on the cross, giving his life as ransom for sin, and then he raises from the grave, and then he gives this Holy Spirit, which is recorded all in Acts, and he ascends to the Father in heaven. But as he's doing that, we get what's called the Great Commission. And this is in Matthew 28. 18 through 20. Listen to what he says. This is the resurrected Jesus before he ascends to heaven. And he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go, therefore, more literally translated, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. What does that entail? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Spirit of God empowers the disciples of Jesus, all who have trusted in Jesus, to be missionaries. Remember, he said that we are salt and light in the Sermon on the Mount. He's already established that, that as his followers who live from this new heart of faith, spirit-empowered life, we are going to be the moral preservation of our culture. Wherever we go, we should uplift culture because the Spirit of God has changed the way we think and act and prioritize and spend and live. And he says, we are to be the light of the dark society that wherever we go, we shine the light of the glory of Christ wherever we go. And so he's saying as disciples, we have been saved by the Son of God and we have been sent by the Son of God. Every single one of us is disciples. We are disciples who he has sprinkled the salt into society. He's sprinkled you into your workplace, into your family, into your neighborhood. He's shining light in the particular places that you are living and working and breathing. And as you are going, he says, you are a missionary. You are salt. You are light. 
I've sprinkled you throughout culture so that you can make disciples of all nations. This is the very essence of what, it, what we're doing here as a church. The very essence of the purpose of the body of Christ. You have been saved and you have been sent. That the body of Christ, this church, Norris Ferry Community Church, says our mission is to glorify God by loving Christ. That's your relationship with Christ vertically. And then sharing the love of Christ with one another, loving Christians, and then neighbors and nations, loving Christ, Christians, neighbors, and nations. And so the very essence of our mission is to equip you to go and spread the love of Christ to neighbors and nations beyond. It's what we do. It's why we exist. It's the very purpose for which God created the church, for his glory. The mission of God from the beginning of the Bible has been to to spread his glory across all of the earth. And that's what he's doing. That's why we're here. And, And sometimes I think we forget that that's the very context of what we're doing. We, we have focused very particularly in some areas with our mission trips. We've sent, God, by God's grace, Kyle and Susie Jaggers down to New Orleans. And by God's grace, we partner with the Lewises in South Sudan. We send mission trips to, to Nicaragua each summer. And, and that's part of our programmatic equipping is we want you to go on mission. We want to join those people to spread the gospel. We want you to get a taste for what it's like. We want you to participate in that. We want you to to obey in that way. But it doesn't just mean that. It also means in everyday life, as you are going, wherever you go, your parenting, your work, your neighborhood, literally, and, and beyond. And we see God has been raising up people in our church to do this. We see right now, Joe Spell is in Ethiopia doing this. This is not a program that the church did. This is a a man of God who has decided this is a ministry God has called me to. We also see that Jamie Williams right now, I believe she's in South Africa right now. She's been all over the world. I can't keep up with her. But she's working with an orphanage, I believe, in South Africa. We also see that the Garmins, through what God did in their life, they've, they've funded and started an orphanage in India so that they can reach people in India. We see the Johnsons right now. I just moved to Panama. We see that Maggie Hickson, this sweet little olive oil thing, that I'm like, you're going to Tanzania? Yes, and she's awesome. She's doing it. Medical, she finished med school, and she's heading to Tanzania. So God is raising up people who he saved, he brought into the church, he equipped them through us, and then he sent them. And that includes you. We have the, the NIDAs have a very active role in bringing our people into Allendale to participate with community and rural friendship houses. Community groups throughout our church go out there and, and throw birthday parties and love on those people. And I, I can't even mention all the things that you are doing. God is using you to send you out to sprinkle the salt and light of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you go. And now what Jesus is doing is saying, now let's... let's Take the word of God and and learn what we can from this short-term mission trip that God gave the apostles. And he told them, go to Galilee and reach the Jews that live in Galilee. And so we're going to look at this short-term mission trip that that Jesus is leading. And we're going to learn, what can we learn about the mission? And let's learn what we can to make us more effective on our equipping of missionaries to go wherever God leads. Let's pray together. Lord, please, please equip us this morning through our time of study. Help us all to realize that we are on mission. 
and help us to have the resources that we need, Lord. Please equip us to be faithful on mission for your glory. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so the, the second discourse starts in chapter 10, but let me just read 9, 35 through 38, because this is a good transition, and it kind of tells you what's been going on in chapter 8 and 9. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages uh, in Galilee area, and he's teaching in their synagogues, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he's healing every disease and every affliction. It doesn't mean there was no disease left when he was done. The way it's written is just that he had this incredible exorcism and healing ministry that he was displaying his power in incredible ways. And it says that when he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I probably should have just used this as a text. It's enough there for a whole sermon. But let's very briefly just note a few things about this passage. First of all, notice in just a minute when Jesus sends out his apostles... He sends them out to do the exact same thing he's doing, to proclaim the same thing he's proclaiming and to do the same deeds of exorcism and healing that he was doing. And so what we're going to learn from that is that the mission is an extension of Jesus' ministry. But notice verse 6. I want to particularly notice because this is a key phrase that, that flows, that, that rolls into the rest of the passage that we're going to look at. When he saw the crowds, he was irritated by their sin. When he saw the crowds, he raged with judgmental anger. When he saw the crowds, he looked to those following disciples and said, how disgusting these people are. When he saw the crowds, he, he was just appalled at such wickedness and turned his back and walked away. It's not what he did. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. That word compassion, the Greek word, they say the English word, we don't have one rich enough to convey the, the compassion. It's, it's a very strong emotion of, of pity and sympathy and compassion. Uh, one scholar says it's, it, it's close to us saying his heart went out to them. I would say it's this gut-wrenching compassion for them. When you see unbelievers... Acting like unbelievers, harassed and, and lost. And what is your reaction? I'm ashamed to say that too many times my reaction is not in line with Jesus. Too many times. I'm also ashamed to say that there, there have been times in my life where I have had more compassion for unbelievers than I do now. And the Lord has used that to lead me to repentance this week. When you see unbelievers at work, when you think of your neighbors who are living sinful lives and they're unbelievers, what do you, what do you feel? My prayer is that we align our hearts with the compassion of Jesus Christ because it's this compassionate response that, that leads to everything else that Jesus does. May we be a church that is not self-righteous, judgmental, and pointing fingers at the, the sinners out there. 
as we've seen, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. It is the, those who are sick who need a doctor. And, and if he says, if you want to point the finger, point it at yourself. You want to be hard on someone, be hard on yourself before you then consider noticing sin in the church. And never does he say, have that kind of attitude to the unbelievers. He says, worry about the log in your eye before you even think about helping someone in the church. Deal with the log and then help people in the church. But when it comes to those who aren't in the church, have compassion on them. Love them. May we be known as a church who loves those who have not come to know the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And notice that they are harassed and and lost because he says they have, they're like sheep without a shepherd. The concern here is not that they need direction in life. The concern here is they need Jesus. The Old Testament presents Jesus as the, the shepherd, the promised Messiah who would come and shepherd the people of Israel. He was presented as the one, the long-awaited Messiah, the shepherd of Israel, the shepherd of God's people. So Jesus is looking at these people who are harassed and helpless without a shepherd, knowing they need him. They need Jesus. They need the reign and rule of God. They need the direction of God. That should be our heart. Our heart's compassion should not be that, should not first and foremost be just to feed the people who are hungry, the poor, and not just a social justice ministry, though all those things are part of it, but the ultimate need that everyone in our community, in our culture, in our world needs is the shepherd Jesus. That is the first and last heartbeat that we should have as we see those who don't know Jesus. We feed them with food and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms communities and that brings justice to communities. And so we should have the same compassionate, Jesus-focused heart when we consider our neighborhood, when we consider our workplaces, when we consider our family, when we consider our community, when we consider Shreveport Bossier. This is the very purpose that if we build a building, that's why we're building a building. It's because we're trying to get to the point where we can equip 500 covenant members to radically, sacrificially lay their wallets on the table and say, here, use this money God has blessed me with to send people to, to make more churches that honor God in the Shreveport, Bossier area, to send more help down to New Orleans, to send more trips to Nicaragua, to send more people to start orphanages in the name of Jesus, to send more people down to help in South Sudan. This is why we exist is to equip the saints for the work of ministry of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Do you think of yourself as a missionary? And do you understand the heart of a missionary is one of great compassion for those who don't know Jesus? Notice in verse 37, I see a a surprise there. He says, as he looks at the crowd, now scholars say there's probably 3 million people living in the Galilean region at this time. So Jesus has been walking through those millions of people, teaching, healing, casting out demons. It, I, I, at this time of year, I think of Jesus walking through Mardi Gras. 
Think of what he's seeing. Think of what he's feeling. And he, we see what this is what he says. Is this what you would think? As he looks around, the harvest is plentiful. Is that what you think when you see the crowds? It's not what I tend to think. What I tend to think when I see scenes like this, oh Lord, despair, not optimism. Oh God, what what is going on? Where is the harvest? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, the harvest is everywhere. Where are the laborers? Completely different reaction than I would have. He says, look around you. Look at all the people. There's so many people who want to know Jesus. The problem's not the harvest. The problem is there's no laborers. He says the harvest is plentiful. He's not talking about the vastness of the fields. He's saying that the harvest crop is plentiful. And as the farmers know, farmer, Bundrick, give me a nod if I'm right. As farmers know, when the harvest is plentiful, you better reap the harvest. You better have the laborers in place to reap the the harvest. And that's what we see in the text is Jesus is not saying, look how wicked, there's no harvest. Pray that God would just bring a harvest. That's not what's going on. Jesus says, look, his compassion is that there's all these people that are ready to be harvested and nobody's going to reap the harvest. Other places in the New Testament scripture, Jesus says, there are, I have many more in this city. And so he called them out in the church and they laid the hands and they sent them. Go get them. Another surprise. The harvest is plentiful. You would think he would say so. Go get them. He says the harvest is plentiful. So what? Pray. First, pray. I picture the the Lewises. Shannon and Carrie Lewis, good friends of ours. I always feel the need, when I'm talking about African missionaries, I feel the need to make sure you know these are normal people. Good friends of ours lived up here. We went on a visit, brought them to church. They started coming to church. Then they had a long journey, went up down, going down by Houston, Calvary, and Calvary, uh, Beaumont, and uh, ended up on the mission field. Brought all their kids. Crazy people, aren't they? No, they're normal. God gave them a desire to go to Africa, South Sudan. And and here's the gist of how this went. They were so excited about going. They were like praying, Lord, is this your will? We don't want to get ahead of you. Is that what you pictured it went like? No. What we picture is, oh, God, I'm praying for missions just as long as you don't call me to Africa. I'm scared to pray for missions because if I pray for missions, you might drag me to Africa. That's not how it works. God's not going to drag you anywhere. Don't be afraid to pray for missions. Pray, pray, pray. And God will give you a joyful heart to go to someone. He won't drag you kicking and screaming. He doesn't need you. 
He wants to bless you with the privilege of taking the gospel to someone. And so the Lewises got a vision. They went on a mission trip like we take on mission trips. And in there, on the mission trip, they fell in love with the people in Africa. And so they went through this long process of Southern Baptists. We, we make sure that people we send out and we fund are trained and well-qualified. And so they get to the stage of their training. and They're about to go to the mission field. And all they know is Africa. And so they're in the IMB saying, where do we go? And they come and they lay folders across the table. They lay folders across the table of just Africa. And they say, this is where God's called us. The Taposa people. Over 600,000 people who don't know the name of Jesus. And that was just one folder. Imagine the Lewises walking up into the bush of Africa, kids in hand. Lord, 600, now I'm hearing 800, over 600,000 People, the harvest. I mean, if I was them, I'd be like, Lord, there's no way. That's why in their training, they are taught before you go, you better have you an army of people praying for you and praying for this land. And they do. And they enlist prayer warriors. And then they enlist churches to be prayer warriors. And they enlist us to go. They enlist us to, to purchase audio Bibles out here. To, to take the word of God, they don't have a written language, to take an audio form of the word of God to them. And they pray and they pray and they enlist and we help and we pray and we go and other churches go. And now when they got there, there was one known believer and now specifically traced only through the works that God has done through the Lewises, there are over 4,000 Believers, praise God. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is there's not enough laborers to go. Pray. We need to be a church that's praying, God, raise up laborers. God, into community groups. Each week we pray. We pray for all kinds of things in your study guide. If you're not a member and you don't know what I'm talking about, then grab the study guide out here at the entrances and take it home and pray. There's, there's an action step written in there as well. There's a calendar that talks about mission trips we're taking. Let that spur you on to prayer. In our action step this week, it says, pray the Lord will raise up laborers for the harvest. Don't be afraid to pray for that. God's not going to call you kicking and screaming somewhere you don't want to go. If he wants you to go somewhere, he's going to give you the joyful excitement to go. So pray, Lord, raise up harvest, raise up laborers for the harvest, because how does he raise up laborers? He saves them, and then he sends them. So when we pray that, we're praying that God would reach people, raise up a crop, 
reach people, raise up a crop, reach people, and it's just going to happen over and over. And you know how I know there are still a lot of people out there waiting to hear the gospel who want to know Jesus, who want to trust Jesus, but they need someone to bring the gospel to them. How do I know that? Because we're still here and Jesus ain't. Other than spirit form. But Jesus says, when that last person has their opportunity, then I will come back. And I will establish my kingdom. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, and I'm going to go usher in that kingdom. Now, as you pray, Lord, raise up laborers. Part of that prayer is, where do you want me? Where do you want me to go? Maybe he wants you to go on a short-term mission trip. Jared is our pastor of missions. One of his goals is that every single covenant member of this church has a passport that has been stamped overseas. Maybe it's someone at the workplace. Maybe it's your next-door neighbor. Wherever it is, God's going to give you a direction. Don't fail to pray. God, where do you want me to go? And in verse 1 of chapter 10, he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority. Notice the language is very similar to the Great Commission. All authority I have, now go make disciples. He gave these 12 disciples, apostles, authority. So these 12 apostles were among a larger group of disciples who he said, pray. And then while they're praying, Jesus calls you, 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 and you. Come here. You're going on a short-term mission trip. You're going to Galilee. Don't go to Samaria. This is Jared on a mission trip. He's got his list. He's handed everybody. Okay, listen, nobody go over there. Don't do anything stupid. You represent Norris Ferry. Jesus is saying to the 12, don't go to Samaria. Don't go to the Gentiles. That's not the purpose of this mission trip. This mission trip for the apostles, these 12, was to take the gospel, the Messiah, to the Jews. All throughout the scriptures, we see that's God's plan. To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. His goal, his plan was to say the, G, the Jewish Messiah would come to the Jewish people. They would worship him, obey him with the word of God in their possession. They would display the wisdom of God, the glory of God to all the nations, and the nations would come streaming in. And Jesus here shows that they first rejected him. And so the judgment comes to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles, the scripture says. But Paul explains in Romans, the good news is that the Gentile church who takes the gospel to the ends of the earth, will make the Jews jealous. And there will be a time where the Jews see and come flowing back in to Jesus. So God's got a plan. He's not caught off guard. And so these 12 were sent to the Jews specifically. You and I are sent to all nations, the end of the earth. When you read the Bible, it keeps going. Jesus died, he buried, he rose again. And before he ascended, he breathed the spirit of God into all disciples. And then he ascended and he said, now I am with you wherever you go, Continue the mission that I've started, just like we see here. All authority has been given to you. Go and make disciples of all nations. He says here, they gave the 12 authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the 12 are these. 
Now, when you read that, all you want to do is obsess over the demons. All you want to do is obsess over the the miracles. So let me just spend a second answering that. Some people teach that this type of ministry has ceased completely, that after the scripture was closed and the apostles' ministry was done, there was no more of this. I don't believe that. Not enough in the scriptures to convince me of that. But what I do believe is that it's not as normative. Why? Because we have the scriptural account of it. These healings and exorcisms were very powerful displays of the power of God. Jesus the King has this kind of power. But something else it did in particular is it shows the quality of life in the kingdom. When Jesus brings his final kingdom, there will be no evil, there will be no demons, there will be no sickness, there will be no tears, there will be no death, there will be no pain, everyone will be perfectly healed. So Jesus is showing, this is an insight into my kingdom. And we have it recorded in scriptures, and I say that as we are going, that Acts teaches us the spirit of God, God will do whatever we need as we go. But it's not as normative. You have the scriptures that teach us about the quality and authority of the kingdom. But what we should learn from this is that they are doing and saying exactly what Jesus was doing and saying. The same is true for us. What this means is that our mission, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the extension of his ministry and his mission. We bring the power of the gospel which is the power of salvation to all who believe, which does bring healing, which brings spiritual restoration, which restores marriages, restores families, may bring physical healing to people's lives, may cast out evil in their life, may bring break the chains of addiction in their life. But all of this is hinging on the focus. The focus is on Jesus. So when we go and we feed the poor and the hungry, we feed the poor and the hungry in the name of Jesus. When we bring water to Africa, it's not a mission of water only. It is a mission of helping them see the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. When we want to see justice in society, it is not just a social justice movement. It is not just a political movement. It is a movement of Jesus. Because we know that where Jesus reigns, justice and love happens to show up. So our focus should be on Jesus and the gospel of Jesus wherever we go. We are an extension of his ministry. It's an incredible responsibility. It's very significant to realize one place in scripture says that you hold the keys to the kingdom. We are to go on this short-term mission trip. Jesus sends them on this short-term mission trip very briefly in verse 9. He says some things we need to understand. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey, no, or two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. When, Je- when Jared takes a mission trip, he hands out a packing list. He says, here's what you can bring, here's what you need to bring, and here's what you don't bring. You don't bring two luggage fools, uh, luggage pack, luggages full of shoes. He says, you have to fit everything you need for 10 days in one carry-on bag. I just lost half the women. That's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, you need to trust the Lord for all the rest of the unexpected needs. 
He's not saying go shoeless on this mission trip. He's saying don't bring extra shoes, don't bring an extra tunic, don't bring an extra staff. Just this is a short-term mission trip, and the unforeseen things, you can trust God. He's going to provide. And then he talks about this laborer deserves his food, and whatever town, in verse 11, whatever village you enter, find out who is worthy and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if there is... And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or that town. When Shannon and Carrie began to walk the villages of South Sudan, Africa, he began to prayerfully walk and identify people of peace. This chief runs that village. He is not friendly to me. Let me go over here. This chief... I find favor with him. He is worthy. I will go. I will invest. I will identify people of peace. I will invest in getting to know them, in blessing them, in caring for them, establishing a relationship with them. And as the Lord provides, I will invite them into a discipleship relationship with them. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about word that he's just saying, hogs and dogs. We did it again. We made logs, hogs, and dogs in one service. This is that same idea. Do not cast your pearls before swine. Do not beat your head against a brick wall. Do not go intentionally into people who are not receptive of the gospel. But God has people and he will provide. Just start going and praying and looking to identify. I met with someone this week. And we were discipling about this very process of identifying first who God has. Pray, 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 identify. And literally, as I'm saying, hey, here's what we do, pray through. He says, God just identified him. (laughs) And I said, praise the Lord. And then that night, he came into contact with him. And we ate dinner this week, and he and his wife were telling me about how crazy it is that God did that. God has plentiful harvest. He just needs us laborers to open our eyes and ask God, show us and start going and know that he will provide. When he says dust off your feet, there's there's a little nuance there that we need to understand. Jews, when they walked out of the promised land that God had given them, walked into pagan land. And when they came back from pagan land into the promised land, they dust the dust off their feet to keep the paradise, the promised land, holy and free of the pagan dust. Now think about what's going on here. These are Jews going to Jews. And Jesus says, when they reject you, even though they're Jews, you treat them and understand they're pagan. That what you do with the missionary of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what you're doing with Jesus. So to reject the missionary is to reject Jesus. To reject Jesus is to not be a child of God. It's not a birthright for anyone, Jews or Gentiles. It's what you do with Jesus. That adds a significance in my heart. Especially when I read verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the... For the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, it'll be more bearable for the Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town who rejects the missionaries who come with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sodom and Gomorrah, that is a phrase that means judgment. And he says, 
He's saying, listen, when you go with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if someone rejects you, they're rejecting Jesus, and they are going to receive judgment. To put it positively, when you go out, you go out with Jesus, you have the power of eternal life in your hands to offer. You have the power of healing lives, healing marriages, healing families. What an incredible weight we should feel as we look into the text and see we are sent by the Son of God. Do you have compassion for the crowds of harassed and helpless people who don't have Jesus as their shepherd? Do we believe the Lord has still many that he wants to save? Do we have a hopeful, optimistic view of the harvest field like Jesus? Are we moved by compassion to to pray, to, to hit our knees and pray, God, expand the kingdom, save people, equip them, send them out. Here, let me help fund that. Let me send people out. Let me go, Lord. Do we have that attitude? Are we working the row of crop that God has set before us in this harvest field? Are we trusting that God will provide whatever we need instead of being so busy trying to be prepared that we never actually go? Do we realize the gravity of what hangs in the balance? Eternity. May we be a people who are so compassionate about those who don't know Jesus that we are driven to take Jesus to them. Father God, we pray for your help in this. We pray that you will make us a people filled with genuine compassion for the lost, the harassed, the helpless, those who need you to shepherd them. May we pray that you would raise up laborers, including ourselves. May we be faithful to to give, to go, trusting that you're going to provide what to say. You're going to provide what we need. You're going to provide whatever it is that, that is keeping us from going. And Lord, we pray that you'll bring forth a mighty harvest. May we be a church full of harvest laborers going out and collecting the beautiful harvest that you have and are ready to reap. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.